does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. All right, thanks for waking up with us. It's the wake-up call here on The Fan in Indianapolis. As always, broadcasting live from the drivehubler.com studios. We made it into February. I'm back on this Monday. He's Kevin Bowen. I'm Andy Sweeney. We have Corbin with us today, who I think was scarfing. Where are you scarfing over there? Are we scarfing a sandwich, a breakfast sandwich? Jimmy Dean. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> Old faithful there. He had oh, a yeah. Jimmy Dean wrapped up in a coffee filter, which is, there's not many things more sports radio than that no. from Corbin. It's Why mess with success? Yeah, at 7.01 in the morning. Uh, but here we are. The Pacers finally off the schneid. Got a win last night. Great, great Sunday for Purdue basketball. A bad weekend for IU basketball. And a very good weekend for Indiana State. And Butler, KB, a good morning to you, sir. I decided to rock them both. The uh, trees. And the Bulldogs here on this Monday morning. Absolutely loved trying to stay up as late as I could on Friday night for just a wild win for Butler at Creighton. Uh, And then that was a fun one Saturday evening to watch Indiana State in that limelight. Uh, and, and they really it's a good get, game too. They had yeah, great game. They get that important win, and we'll see if it's enough. Obviously, they need to hold serve probably the rest of the way in the MoVal. But uh, yes, if you are a fan of your teams in West Lafayette. Uh, I guess uh, Indianapolis, uh, a little bit there with Butler or Terre Haute. Uh, you are very, very happy. And if you are in Bloomington, you continue to watch an absolute clown show with where that program is at here in year three I of did, the Mike I did Woodson search it. era. I searched it. You searched the buyout I, number? I, I, yeah, you, yep. <clears throat> See, we're reading each other's minds. I did search it uh, last night just to, just in case, just it, so I'd have that information in my mind. You could make the argument Saturday was the worst loss in the Woodson era. And he hasn't had the real, like, you know, glaring, ugly mid-major. Archie and Crean kind of had a couple of those. Uh, you could make that argument, but I certainly don't want to make sure the focus is on that here to lead off. Purdue again, um, just away from home, Andy. Like it's We're going to have Rob Blackman on at 9, and that was the sixth time this season. Purdue's played a game where they've played an opponent ranked in the top 11. They're 6-0 and in those six games, and five of them away from home. And I'm sitting there watching yesterday, and you get to halftime, and they've got a lead. And Zach Eady's made one shot, and they've hit one three-pointer. Yeah. Zach Eady was, what, one for five at halftime, I think it was? And they've only hit yeah. one three. So it's yeah. not like they just came out on the road and, boom, all of a sudden hit four or five threes, and Wisconsin's a little stunned by that. It, it, it continues to be. Week in and week out, uh, I, I continue to say, it's not like a broken record, but they find different ways to build leads and win games. And that is huge, huge when you get to March. Lance Jones continues to be. A guy I just absolutely have loved for Purdue. Every time Wisconsin, I thought, made a legit, legit run, and they made several of them. Uh, Lance Jones' craziness, uh, which I consider it a good thing, uh, he helped answer those calls. So Purdue now in control of the Big Ten. They will not play an NCAA tournament team the rest of this month. So that was it. Their schedule really And they're light. off the rest of the week until Saturday. Right. Yeah, uh, they, they get Indiana. Until Indiana down. On, uh, <laughs> on Saturday. Night. And I am very confused by the Pacers. That's where I'm at with the Pacers. Okay, you're confused. Why is Kevin Bowen confused with the Pacers? Now, I know Friday, a lot of the conversation had to be Halliburton minutes. 
Uh, and then we know what happened Friday night. And then Sacramento, la- or it's not Sacramento, um, goodness help me, Charlotte last night, not needing to extend him and play him 20 minutes. And now you have off until uh, tomorrow. So what's confusing Kevin well, Bowen on this Monday morning? What What are they? You lose your first three with Siakam. You win your next three. You lose your next three. They're inconsistent. Yeah, and, and now I'm that's like, what they are, and they're well, they, and, and Halliburton being injured has thrown a wrench into everything. Sure, no one's happy about question. what's going on right now. There is context around the confusion because yeah, the lineups are kind of jumbled, and I mean, even last night I'm sitting there watching the game, and I'm like, there is part of me that wants to see Charlotte make this a little close just to so see what they get do. A Halliburton answer, right, right? We got nothing yesterday. He's on nothing. the elliptical in the fourth quarter. Still, Charlotte's just kind of lingering. <laughs> they yeah, what get was the, closest, the elliptical. What was the closest they cut it, it got, to? Maybe ten. I think it did. did it get, did get did single it get, digits. I thought it. Well, let's see. Uh, Bridges had a kind of a runner to make it single digits. I don't know if he he did not make that. Let me check real Can you quick. Imagine but, cheering for a team with Miles Bridges well, on it. That's an. I mean. On on that and off the floor. That story just vanished. On on and off the yeah. floor. But Brandon Miller, that is it's so Paul first George. game in the thirties. It's un, un, uncanny. You watch him and think of Paul George. Um, but yeah, I'm just I, I'm sitting here thinking to myself like, what are the Pacers? What are they heading into Thursday? Like, Andy Buddy Heald just played a season low in minutes. Is he gone on Thursday? I, I mean, I don't know what you do with Buddy is he Heald. Here? I mean, is, Buddy Heald is, is Andrew Nemhard in the starting lineup for good? Well, I mean, Carlisle after the game was like, "Listen, we're going to start him for the next several games." So it sure as hell sounds like that's the case. I mean, Buddy Heald has been—I mean, he's had some spurts where he's been really good, but the last couple weeks. He's had a couple nice games, but for the most part, he's been inconsistent, and that's a nice way to put it. He's yeah. been disappointing, quite frankly. So I, I just kind of come in on this Monday morning. I'm a little confused. They're on in survival where mode. We are at with the Pacers. They are a half game up on the play-in right now. That would be the Magic, uh, just behind them. And remember, the Magic have the head-to-head this season, so you don't want to flirt with that at all. Now, the great news for the Pacers is, you know, theoretically, you should be getting healthier. I, I. I I felt like Halliburton, just judging by body language, could have come back in in the fourth quarter. Like, why would he ride the elliptical just to ride it? I mean, he's not, you know, Kevin Bowen trying to work out and getting one drop of sweat in and acting like he's just done P90X for every day. And you ever done month. P90X before? Yeah. Do, have you ever done it before? Because I have. Do I look like I've done well, it? Well, I'm just, I mean, did you ever pop the DVD in and say, I'm going to do this? I'm going to at least try this. Or no. what was the other one? The insanity I'm a CrossFit one? guy, right? <laughs> you, you're going to lift some big weights or something? Scream okay. CrossFit to you. You're going to jump up on a box <laughs> 7 a.m. Uh, and then, if you do look at the schedule <laughs> the rest of the way, uh, this is one of the easier schedules. Left And, of course, you know, Pacers fans could look at that as obviously glass half full or glass half empty and saying, well, you know, we didn't beat these teams earlier in the season. So I'm just stuck in a little bit of confusion with the Pacers. Um, I'm still optimistic about it, but I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what the lineup's going to look like. Again, I don't know what Thursday is going to unfold for them with Buddy Heald and Obi Toppin in particular and how you handle both of those situations with the trade deadline because at the start of the year Andy and we'll have Tony East on at 8 30 to talk more about this at the start of the year they tried to get an extension done with Buddy Heald yes they did yes they did since then Buddy has been I would say inconsistent he's not had a great contract year and you've made a massive trade and the massive trade has now created a whole different financial book situation. If you want to look at it here for the next couple of seasons, and Tony East is a guy that's all all, all over that. So that's, that's kind of a question I do want to throw 
Tony's way of the recent run, the Siakam trade, what do you think that's done internally to how the Pacers view healed? I think he's a guy that they like internally. Clearly Halliburton's a big fan of him. He still is a threat from a spacing standpoint. But man, when a guy that is on the supposed trade block or is in a contract year just plays a season low in minutes and loses his starting job, again, you'd be naive to look away from that. Yeah, what a weekend. Uh, and I know you guys talked about it on Friday. I was out. My uh, my wife's grandmother passed away, so it was the first time, and, and I say this, that uh, that our little four-and-a-half-month-old was like the star of the show everywhere we went, KB. Uh, so he is so tired yesterday. <laughs> I think he cried the entire Pacer game. <laughs> He had the Sunday scaries. I think he, I think he had the biggest case of uh, Sunday scaries. He was like a kid going back to school on a Monday. It's exactly what he was. <laughs> but uh, I'm with listen. I'm with you on the Pacers. You know, catching up on stuff over the weekend. I mean, you had the back and forth on what was it, Thursday. I know you guys talked about it on Friday between Carlisle and Dustin Depierak, where it's like, okay, so Halliburton's not going to play in these fourth quarter minutes. Uh, okay, so we need to know that. Well, then Friday they flipped it, and then Friday they flipped it, and he didn't play well and they lost to Sacramento and then last night I even tweeted it out I mean unfortunately for us they probably got exactly what they want he hit the threshold again to count this as a full game so he can get that super max deal something the last week and a half we've talked so much about he played 20 minutes uh, in last night's game and you could tell once they were up double figures and it ballooned if you will to 15 16 points that he probably was not going to be back even though he's uh, that's how great a shape these guys are in. I'll just go be on the elliptical for 45 minutes, even though I'm not going to play again. Uh, but you built that lead. You were not going to lose that game. After the game, Carlisle's like, we just got it. We got the win. We survived and we got out. And now you get Houston coming into town. Ta- Houston, I believe, is in town uh, coming up on Tuesday. To me, you ask what they are. Uh, to me, they are in survival mode. And I can just by reading everybody, Halliburton's comments, Carlisle's comments, this is going back to late last week, all the way through the weekend. Everyone just, they, you know, they're trying to figure out how to play Halliburton without him re-injuring the hamstring, but where they can still get something from him where it also all makes sense together. And it's just a difficult dance to do. They are trying to do something that is just really, really hard to do. They needed to get that win last night. But, you know, here at some point, like they have five games before uh, they get to the all-star break. They have this five-game stretch here. Uh, and to me, yeah, Houston, Golden I, State at home this week. And then New and York then on, on the road, the road yeah. Charlotte, Toronto. So you have the big Knicks game, but you have, I mean, these are non-playoff teams. What, four out of these five yeah, teams Golden here State are non-playoff be, teams. Golden State will be the second night of back-to-back. So That's, that uh, That is something. I know you got um, a lot of you know Steph Curry fans. Can, and can, can they go four, Can they go four and one? I don't know. Is, is three and two what we need to talk about? Well, uh, but it's but when do they up Halliburton? That's the question. You label them in survival mode. And. And I kind of agree with it, but I'm like, last night, every guy was available to them. Like, if you want to look at survival mode, how about the Knicks with their injury situation? How about Charlotte last night? I mean, down what? <laughs> their two Charlotte, leading scores for their top seven. They've <laughs> won 10 games look. all season. It's like, a rough look. That, to me, describes survival mode a little bit. So it, it is weird how at least I kind of view the Pacers on this Monday morning. Again, I bring up the Steph Curry back-to-back, and I say this in all seriousness. I know there's probably a lot of parents out there of young children that have probably bought tickets or looking forward to Thursday nights. 
And if you look at Wednesday night for Golden State, they have a nationally televised game. Now, I don't think Steph has been the king of like load management back-to-backs, but I mean, hell, the dude just scored 60 in overtime the other night there. But just something to keep an eye on uh, as Golden State will be inside of Gambridge Fieldhouse for their lone visit here coming up on Thursday. Again, a lot of college basketball focus for us today. Rob Blackman at nine. That 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 Purdue resume. I mean, there's just nothing more decorated in college basketball than that right now. You could probably get into a pretty heated debate. Who's better, UConn or Purdue? Uh, just Jake Purdue. Just strictly yeah. as a basketball sure. team. Sure. UConn's had a lot of injuries this sure. season, sure. and they still have gotten to this point. But if you are, again, just going off of what the resume looks like, I mean, yesterday, uh, another huge feather in the cap to do that away from home. And again, Andy, to be having a lead at halftime when the national play of the year has hit one bucket and you've hit one three-pointer, like that just to me is another thing that stands out about Purdue season of it doesn't have to be 35 and 12 for Meadie night in, night out. It doesn't have to be 12 or 14 three-pointers for them night in, night out. They've got some different ways. They, they are not perfect but they've got different ways that they can win games. And every time Wisconsin made that run, and they did, again, cut it to one possession on several, several occasions, it seemingly to me was Lance Jones every time. Yeah, it got down to three. He comes down, he hits a three. And then later in the game, I think it was two. I might have my plays. He got down uh, to two mixed, on yeah, that big drive. He yeah, had. yeah, mixed up. And he, he, had, he had the decision. Am I going to take this? Am I going to take this the distance and drive in and get the layup? Or uh, And he, he obviously did, and he's fantastic. I saw this from John Rothstein. Braden Smith has 167 assists this year. He had 153 all of last year. KB, we still have all of February to play. Boy. We still have into March to yeah. play. I mean, he's going to, I don't think he's going, he's not going to double that number, uh, but his play has been so high. The reality is, and we've known this with Purdue, there's two things. Number one, I don't see them giving up like the Big Ten lead again. Like they are going to win the regular season Big Ten. If they win that by a game, game and a half, two, three, we'll see. But to me, you mentioned how many tournament teams they play the rest of the month is zero uh, in the month of February. So many of these games, they're going to cruise. They can have a C-minus game uh, and go out there and beat teams such as Indiana. We'll get to the Hoosiers a little bit later on. Uh, But there's like the other thing, there's nothing left We've been waiting to check all these boxes with Purdue because we think, okay, they've done this and this. This means they won't choke in March. There's nothing left they can do in the regular season. Hell, I'll even throw in, KB, the Big Ten tournament. Uh, There's no other box to, to leave unchecked. I mean, the Northwestern game was a home game, a crazy game, a game dominated by guards, and a high scoring game that went to overtime. Okay, Bo Boo. I mean, these guys can hit threes. Wisconsin is a possession game, on-the-road type game, coming down to the end, and they can win that game. If you want to win, if you want to win in the 60s and 70s, you want to win in the, uh, you know, the 90s and 100s, Purdue, uh, Purdue can do it either way. There's, you know, I sit here this Monday. There's just nothing left for them to do to check any more boxes. Now, fans would say a sweep of Indiana would would make them feel very, very good. So, well, I can't believe they don't sweep Indiana. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm just saying from a <laughs> Saturday from a fan sanity standpoint. <laughs> I mean, Indiana is just dreadful. That just is dreadful. So you're telling me Penn State didn't have its leading score? Penn State scored 62 points in the final 25 minutes. Without their leading score, correct? I just want to make sure I have that right. 
Not a good start. Yeah, I um, I tweeted out on for Indiana on Saturday Yikes. afternoon. I did the uh, I did the old star ranking of the starting I saw, lineups. I saw you throw out the old star ranking. The star rankings, uh, And I mentioned at the end of the tweet something I've said for several months now. And Andy, you were all over this from the start of the season. Like the warning signs were neon in the non-conference. The only reason they survived those non-conference just putrid, pathetic efforts is because they were simply taller. Right. Cleo Ware, right. Like, over 40 minutes, Cleo Ware got three extra offensive rebounds, and you beat Army by six, or whatever those scores were. Or you beat Florida Gulf Coast when they didn't have their leading score in that one. Uh, But no program in, in, in college basketball, to me, invests more and gets less out of it than Indiana basketball. None. And if you are a... Corbin, how old are you? Oh, here we go. How old is Corbin? I have not, I can't um, tell by looking at you how old 26. you are. Six. Twenty-seven. Uh, you're a little high. Twenty-four. Twenty-four, oh, 24, okay. 24 years 24. old. So if you are Corbin Lingenfelter Good and you, you are twenty-four years old, you have watched Indiana basketball be an average Big Ten team. Point blank period. Just at smack dab middle of the Big Ten team in his lifetime and that's why so many people you know i'm like how do you not know the rich history of indiana basketball and oh my this and that if you are corbin at 24 years old all he knows is average just a again right there in the middle of the big 10 conference yet they invest like none other and andy you know this coming from a little bit of sec country there are so many programs that do invest richly in nil but 90 percent of them it's football first. Indiana's one of the yeah. five to ten percent that it's the opposite. It is no, no, no. Oh my gosh, we'll give Anthony Leal this and that. We'll, we'll do anything for the tenth guy on the bench. Not many f- college programs do that for basketball, and to get so little out of it has got to be absolutely maddening. Well, that, that it's not only that. It's it's you know you're paying Mike Woodson now. He got the raise last year. You're paying him KBO for four million dollars. For all of this, I mean, he's a top three or four coach in the Big Ten God, when it comes to pay. Yeah, he got the million dollar raise all the way through twenty twenty seven through the through the. I listen. They are. I know. I know. We need to take a break. We'll get to a morning check down. We got a bunch of sound. Tony East at eight thirty, but uh, Indiana is is a mess, and it's to the point to where Mike Woodson is going to make next year have a ton of pressure. And later on, I think there's a reason that's going to come out on why Indiana fans are even grumpier about this team. And it has absolutely, it doesn't have anything to do with this season. So we'll dive into that uh, as well. But Indiana embarrassed themselves on Saturday. What a fun Friday and Saturday for those that are fans of the Butler Bulldogs and the Indiana State Sycamores. Just much needed for their respective resumes. For Indiana State, they might not need it. But still, it's a nice insurance policy to have. And for Butler, you talk about a team right now starting to take advantage of these opportunities. That's two road wins over top 15 teams. Of course, the Big East, uh, there's no rest at all. It is at UConn tomorrow night for Thad Mata and his bunch. Good Monday morning to you. I am Kevin Bowen, Andy Sweeney with us, of course, and Corbin Lingenfelter on the ones and twos. Thanks for spending this Monday morning with us. It is the wake-up call. KB and Andy on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. 
I appreciate you joining us here. It's February 5th, hanging out with you until 10 o'clock as always. Broadcasting live from the drivehubler.com studios. Rob Blackman going to join us at the top of the hour at 9 o'clock, about 25 minutes from now. We'll continue uh, the Purdue uh, basketball conversation with him. But let's switch gears and go to the Pacers. Tony East joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Locked on Pacers, SI.com. Many places you can find his work. Tony, good morning. Let's jump right into it. Um, the minute restriction, we've seen now three games. We've seen them try, you know, I guess four games uh, front load it. Try to switch that up in the Sacramento game last night. Obviously, with the lead, did not have to bring Halliburton back in. What is your strongest opinion on the minute restriction and how the Pacers have handled it through four games? I have two, but I don't want to monopolize your time. So I will, I will do one. And that is that the way they did it last night is how they should do it every time. They tried the fourth quarter minutes restriction last Friday when they played the Kings. He played in the second, third, and fourth quarter. I get them wanting Tyree Talburton to close the game. He is their best player. They have to have a chance to win for that to make any sense or else they're just trying him out there for no reason. And they were down double digits in the fourth quarter because Tyree Talburton didn't play earlier in that game against the Kings. I think you've got to play them in the first three quarters and just hope that along the way, if they're going to do it this way, you find enough solutions that can work for you in the fourth quarter. And last night they figured out that Pascal Siakam was playing great and Aaron Smith was playing great. And those guys gave him enough in the fourth quarter to get it done. I think that's how they have to do it if they're going to balance it this way. And it's really hard to play him throughout all four quarters on this low of a minute's limit. So I think it has to be the first three quarters. And they just – try their best to figure it out along the way because you got to have a chance. And if they're going to try to get him in for all of those 20 plus minutes. So, you know, he's got that 65 game restriction. I have no idea if that's a part of the thinking to be clear, but you know, if he's going to be playing that much, no matter what, I think for their chances to win, it makes the most sense for it to be as early in the game as possible. Do you think he would have gone back in in the fourth quarter had Charlotte cut it to whatever, five or six? I mean, he only had barely over 20 last night, and it's been at 22 uh, the last couple games. I asked him on Friday if 22 was like a hard minute limit. He said, eh, not, you know, he didn't say that it was exactly that number or if he, you know, even it was a, a hard this many is the limit. So maybe, uh, maybe that could have been the case for like two or three minutes, but I, I sort of don't think so, just given how this is all gone. That was their third game in four nights. Interesting. I, I don't know. I just the the elliptical look um, <laughs> had me thinking potentially he would have gone back in. Granted, you know who the hell knows. Uh, Tony East is with us here. SI.com, Locked On Pacers, a great listen to podcast wise. You hear his voice in our airwaves a lot. He joins us here uh, as the Pacers get ready to return home, take on the Rockets tomorrow night. Um, Tony, four starters seems obvious moving forward. Halliburton, Neesmith, Siakam, Turner. Who's your fifth? Buddy Heald, Andrew Nemhard, Benedict Mather. Yeah, right after the trade, I said Andrew Nemhard would be my fifth starter if I'm the Pacers. I would understand why they did Buddy Heald, and they did that. So I, I thought that made sense. But I, I think I personally think it should be Nemhard going forward. Uh, and, and Kalen Cooper nailed it. I think with one of the reasons on Twitter last night, Aaron Neesmith prior to the Hornets game had fouled out of both of the last two games right before that. Right, he's been really overtaxed defensively on the perimeter when they're starting healed in there. And their offense is good with healed plus that front court and Halliburton. But I think they need that extra bit of perimeter defense with that starting group, even if Nemhard's not giving you 
as much offensively last night. He missed every shot he took. Granted, they were all three-pointers, but having that defensive presence, I think, is the most valuable thing for that group. Siakam can score in many ways. Halliburton, obviously, is a brilliant offensive player when he gets rolling. Turner and Siakam play well off of each other. They're going to find a way to score enough points, and Neesmith's playing great even offensively recently. So, they can score. Getting enough stops should be the way that they can, can crush their opponents. And I think Nemhard's the best fit for that group. And then you can stagger him as a backup point if you need to, but you can still play McConnell, which turned out to be valuable for them last night. Heald makes sense as a floor spacer with that bench group that is everybody left. That's what I thought made the most sense all along. They finally went to it yesterday. Some out of necessity because what they had been doing wasn't working, and it did work. It, that group was plus 16, I believe. Uh, in not that many minutes. So I think that's what they will continue to roll with, at least going forward. And I think it makes the most sense for their rotational balance to keep Nemhard as FS starter for now. Tony uh, Tony East with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline on the fan on this Reaction Monday. He's from SI.com, Locked on Pacers podcast. Many places you can find his work. Uh, I guess fill in the blank here. I guess I'll just do a yes or no. Buddy Heald, Friday, Thursday night into Friday morning. Will he be here? What do you think? I mean, I'm going to lean yes, just because they already made their big trade this season. I mean, it, it's not like a confident yes, but I, I think the most likely thing to happen is because they don't do anything. They already made, like I said, their big move. And he ha- like now he has more value to them to retain than he did before because of his salary slot and because, you know, they, he is a, a shooter on a team that lost shooting in the trade. That said, I mean, the, the continued – you know, run of him not being a shooter, as I say that, right? He won for three or one for four from deep last night and something like 36 or 37% the last month and a half or something like that. You know, certainly changes the thinking a bit. And it's part of why I can't be as confident as I would have been normally about that because clearly they wanted him on the team this year. They tried to extend his contract before the season and it didn't, you know, it didn't work out. And that's why they had to think about his future in different ways. But Clearly, they had value in what he does, and he still provides something, and teams respect his shot. It's just not going in. And so they had to think about expiring contracts, as every team that you know has them does, and maybe that alone is enough reason for them to move on from him for someone else or for different assets. But, it, it, you know, it's tough, to, it's tough to just dump a salary slot, given the Pacers' situation, unless they're getting someone who fits well and is good and has a longer deal back. And that's a hard deal to come up with without giving up assets. That's hard to figure out what that is, too. So there's just a lot of factors that play that make me think slightly more likely than not that he's still with the Pacers. But if they did trade him, I would understand why they did it. It just has to be a certain set of circumstances to me. Tony, as a follow-up, and I'm not asking you to know, but it is a conversation piece. Zach Levine there with Chicago out for the remainder of the season. He was going to be the shooting guard that we talked about, right? For the next three, four days, he was going to be the guy. Does that change the value in the next few days, him being out for a guy like Buddy Heald who would be available and maybe you know would look nicer given the that Levine's going to be out the remainder of the season, or do you think those two, uh, you know, have nothing to do with each other in the end? Yeah, I, not really. I mean, Levine's just a, he's a shooter certainly too, but he can do a lot of stuff. And I think the teams that would have wanted him, like Detroit, apparently, I don't really get that. So I say apparently, but like Detroit and the Lakers and uh, some other teams, like they wanted him for like his ball handling and scoring in that way. And Buddy Hill doesn't really do that stuff. I suppose, 
the Lakers would have been an overlapping team of interest. But I still think if you're dying for offensive upgrades at this trade deadline, you know, DeJounte Murray would be a guard that you try to acquire. And then, I, I mean, there's not a ton of people that have been rumored to be available. So maybe Levine being off the market changes things a bit. But uh, I don't think that they're totally related just given they, they have different skill sets and timelines. Again, he's the great Tony East. Uh, he is with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Read his work, SI, Forbes.com, Locked on Pacers, an awesome listen on a daily basis. I want to get back, in, back into a little bit of trade conversation stuff here in just a second, but you're a smart dude, much, much smarter than I am. Have you heard or come up with a good alternative to this 65-game rule that we're currently dealing with? Uh, no. Here's the thing. I don't think the alternative has been said that makes the most sense to me here's the the only thing that i don't like about it and i didn't think of this until it actually happened during the season so i'm not smart enough to have the foresight and so i can't criticize them for for anything about this but you know like joel let's we can start with joel Embiid's case here right like he's not going to play 65 now obviously if he even plays again this season so he won't win mvp but in the history of the league i think there's only been one mvp who played fewer than the equivalent of 65 games in a season, right? Because usually voters bake that into their decision-making. I think it was Bill Walton in the 70s, right? So usually that number of games is like a factor anyway for awards like that, just because teams or uh, uh, people value that, right? Playing minutes is valuable and for most valuable player. What makes it different for Halliburton and the thing I have come not to like about the award isn't necessarily that, he would or would not be eligible for All-NBA if he didn't play 65 games. That's whatever. You know, like I just said, if you don't play as much, that's less valuable. It's that it's tied to his money, right? Like, I think the fact that it could be an award that has contractual incentives all of a sudden gives him reason and the Pacers reason to try to play him in funky ways if to, just to get him at $40 million. And maybe it's fine for his long-term health, but the fact that that can be an incentive – Shouldn't be the case, but because the award is tied to money, it has to be an incentive, right? The Pacers agreed that he would be worth that much if he played 65 games in mid NBA. So, you know, everybody's kind of incentivized to potentially change his health risk just because of his contract status. And I don't know how you avoid that if you're going to tie it to All-NBA, but having it tied to money as well, I don't like. And I think that that has been a negative side effect that this season has only affected Tyrese Alberton, but is something that has become a negative consequence to me. All right, you had me clicking, so great work on the tweet. Uh, You had a tweet yesterday before tip-off and teasing one of your articles, one of the more under-discussed factors for the Pacers Uh. heading to the trade deadline to me. This was in regards to a Pascal Siakam trade item that we, speaking for you know me and Andy, we have not brought to the forefront maybe as much as we should have. Could you explain to our audience a little bit of what they would find in your latest work? Everybody's least favorite thing, the luxury tax. Uh, just pay it, owners. Everybody pay it. Yeah, they're going to be expensive next year, right? And, you know, when I was talking to Bobby Marks on my podcast last week, he mentioned it too, right? Like their dynamics changed very quickly from a team that could be under the cap and maybe spending some money next summer to, uh-oh, we're going to be, you know, up against that tax line over $170 million next year was the projection put out by the NBA last week. All the teams need that projection to make trade deadline decisions and, you know, if they re-sign Siakam at the number that has been reported that they could and, you know, keep healed or sign and trade healed for a player of similar contractual value or trade healed now for a player of similar contractual value, maybe they don't keep Obi Toppin. But if they, you know, if they keep all their young guys and keep their team together, 
they're going to be right at or over that line, right? And that is, you know, maybe they're fine with it um, being over the tax. They're clearly trying to be good, and you pay money for good teams. But if you're pretty close to the luxury tax line, history says in the NBA that you try to get under it. And if you're not a rock-solid contender, history says that you try to get under it. And so they have a lot of time to figure it out, you know, till the end of next season. But I think that's a factor in their decision-making for the next probably year is that year specifically, just next year. Because after that, the new CBA, or, uh, the new TV deal should go into effect. And, uh, you know, all the discussion is that that would make the cap jump 10% every year, which would make the tax jump more. And all of a sudden the Pacers wouldn't have to worry about it as much. But for next year specifically, trying to figure out how to wiggle under that line will be an interesting thing, whether that means they – have to lose Obi Toppin as a free agent? And if so, do you try to move on from it now? Whether that means they, you know, kind of hope Halliburton doesn't make All NBA, that would give them some wiggle room. Or maybe he holds money or Siakam's when he comes in at a lower number. Or maybe they have to think differently about McConnell's future. There's a lot of ways that they could do it, but the fact that they have to think about that stuff now, I think, bleeds into their trade deadline thinking this year because the value of some of those players in the summer could change for them a little bit. Or they have to dump someone. You know, like they did in the 2021 summer with T.J. Leaf to Oklahoma City. So maybe it's too early, but I think that given their projections of salaries next year, something they have to start thinking about. And, you know, if, if they make a trade that just kind of seems weird on the surface in the next couple of days, perhaps that's a big factor in line. I don't think that's been discussed enough. Tony, last one for me, and as always, greatly appreciate your time. Again, Tony East from SI with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline. If they think internally, all right, we we are not re-signing Buddy, or or you know finances have changed since the Siakam trade. We, we we just don't see that in the in the future plans. We don't see Obi Toppin either in the future plans as a re-signed guy. Would they still hold on to them? Do you think for the final two months and and I guess theoretically let them walk for nothing? And maybe I mean you know if they know they're not going to or are confident they're not going to re-sign them, they have to look at trades. Obviously, right? That was the big discussion with Miles Turner last year, but. The, the the thing that changed, too, when they traded for Siakam is, like, they're clearly going for it, right? So there is value in what that player provides you the rest of this season and in the postseason. So the value they get back can't just be, you know, future value and that's it. It has to be enough value in the future that you feel good about losing that, you know, uh, production for the rest of this season and into the postseason. And you have them, last night was the first time I think they were fully healthy since the Siakam trade. It was telling to me that, those two guys are the lowest two-minute guys in the rotation. They both played like 11 minutes in that game, and they're still in the rotation, right? They're still valuable to the Pacers, but it's a little different now. It, that, that value calculation wasn't a thing beforehand for them. They didn't have to worry about, you know, as much the production down the rest of the season. Now, clearly, with them going for it, they do. So, I think that yeah, if they know certainly they're not going to resign the guy, they should definitely think hard about what trades are out there or what value future-wise makes sense, but. Now they care a lot more about what that production can be for the rest of this specific season, and I think that matters a lot. Again, Tony East, his latest, very interesting piece and kind of one of the more underrated aspects to that Pascal Siakam trade. Foreign territory, frankly, for the Pacers that they have not been in <laughs> in quite some time. Tony, great stuff, man. Have a uh, great week, and hopefully it's not too, a- too chaotic for you on uh, Thursday. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thursday, February 8th, 3 p.m., the trade deadline, which bleeds into then Pacers-Warriors Thursday night inside of GameBridge Fieldhouse. How about some Purdue talk? We'll do that on the other side. Voice of the Boilermakers after yesterday's big win at the Kohl Center. Rob Blackman joins us next.
As always, we're broadcasting live from the DriveHubler.com studios. Love the conversation we've had about Purdue and some college basketball, so let's keep it going. Voice of the Boilermakers, Rob Blackman joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Rob, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's dive right into it. You know, we've talked so much this year about checking boxes off, and whether it be neutral site games or on the road or there uh, at home, boy, Purdue has checked, in my opinion, in every single box and you saw Wisconsin another great example of that yesterday do you feel the same way that this team has done everything that they needed to do to show how great they are thus far this season uh yeah probably uh certainly it'd be hard to argue against that um you mentioned checking the boxes Purdue's played five teams this year ranked inside the AP top 10 and then beaten all five of them um, with uh, one of those obviously coming on the road yesterday. Uh, and then you look at, uh, you know, Big Ten road games. Purdue's played seven of them, and, and they won five. And, you know, the old adage, whether it's right or wrong, it does seem to work out this way, though. If you want to win a Big Ten regular season title, you need to win all your home games and then win at least half your road games. And that, that at least puts you in the hunt. And that's where Purdue is right now. Purdue's already won half of their Big Ten road games. They're five and two on the road with three to go. So, and they've won all the home games <laughs> to this point. It's pretty so, good, Rob. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah I'd, have a tough, I'd have a tough time arguing that Purdue hasn't checked all the boxes. And look, I know, I know Purdue fans, Purdue players, Purdue coaches, me would like to have those, those, North, those games at Northwestern and Nebraska back. But if you're just looking at a full body of work through, uh, through 23 games, yeah, I think Purdue's probably pretty pleased with what, what's going on here. Rob, last time Purdue had a point guard of the quality of Braden Smith. Uh, Kevin, uh, <laughs> uh, ooh, uh, Bruce Parkinson, uh, who wasn't nearly the scorer that that's going way back. You got to be an old man to remember Bruce Parkinson, uh, at least as far as a pure passer, uh, boy, I'd be hard pressed to, to get prove Look, Purdue's had some great two guards sure, in my sure. this my, yeah. this is my 19th year. Uh, some guys that have ended up in the NBA and, and, you know, Etwan Moore ended up having a hell of a career in the NBA, but, uh, and have had some awfully good big men, obviously, but boy, I don't, uh, I, I get, I'm, you stumped me there, Kevin, I guess I'll go Bruce Parkinson, but again, he wasn't nearly the scorer that, uh, that, that Braden is, you know, Braden can obviously score the ball 12 points a game. He had whatever it was, 19, I think it was yesterday. So yeah, I don't know. Good. You, you caught too early in the morning for him to be thinking about that. That's a good question. Robbie yeah. went back to the 70s with that one. I like yeah, that. I know and, and listen, I was born in 1970. <laughs> I know I was thinking myself there. Man, I, I might need to call my father after the show and ask him about Bruce, Bruce Parkinson a little bit there. But yeah, I mean, the 16 assists the other night and then yesterday when they need him to be more the score, uh, especially early. He was that. I, I wanted to, and again, uh, voice of the Boilers, Rob Blackman is with us. Purdue 75-69, just another, as Rob laid out, another damn impressive win, frankly, on an already very impressive resume for Purdue this season. I want to go down the Lance Jones you know, biographical path, if I could. And I know it's been 20 years, but Andy and I were talking about this earlier like, did Matt Painter tap into a Southern Illinois Rolodex there? Like, I, I you know, projecting – this is not a dude that averaged 19 a game and was the Missouri Valley Player of the Year. So, you know, when you project a guy into your system, 
the moments at Assembly Hall, the moments at the Cole Center yesterday. That's just a lot of stuff that like you don't see on film. Is there anything you could share on maybe what they saw or the behind the scenes of how they found Lance Jones and believing, no, 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 he's the right piece, even though you know every top 10 program isn't banging down the portal door for him? Yeah, well, there's a lot to, to talk about there, and, and you're correct. Uh, look, when he, he was not a, uh, a signee in the summertime and the portal uh, that, that certainly garnered a whole lot of uh, headlines, nor a lot of uh, good vibes, I think, from Purdue fans. You know, if you remember back, he, his, uh, his addition to the team was met with really a blah from the fans. Is it, you know, who's this guy? Um, look, he was, you know, twice – all Missouri Valley Conference defensive team, and he was a thousand point scorer at Southern. It's not like he he couldn't score the ball, but uh, to to answer your question specifically, you know, yes, Coach Painter does have a relationship with those guys at Southern, uh, even though the the coaching staff is turned over. He's still familiar with those folks down there. But really, guys, uh, this signing came down to uh, the Evanston Township relationship. Uh, no gel Eastern was an, was an Evanston township kid that played for Purdue, uh, same high school as Lance. And so coach Painter and the staff had a very good relationship with his high school coach. Hmm. And that's, that's actually who they leaned on the heaviest. Um, because as we've kind of seen with this, you know, the, the grad transfers and now more recently, the portal transfers, uh, I think everyone's kind of figured out Matt Painter's MO is he's really looking for more substance than anything else. It has to be a guy that fits with Purdue. It has to be a Purdue fit, or it's just not going to work. Um, and so that's where he leaned the heaviest was actually, and I'm sorry I don't remember the, the coach's name, but the head coach at Evanston Township High School, uh, that's where Coach Painter went and, and you know said, hey, is this a guy that you think fits our program because you understand it a little bit? Uh, you know a little bit about Purdue basketball. And that's where really it was sold was right there, that the fact that that, that coach signed off on him. So, yeah, that's that's actually where – you think about all these relationships coaches have in the game of recruiting, and uh, whether it's AAU or, or other college coaches or whatever it might be, but this was one of those where the high school coach actually tipped the scales in favor of Lance. That's that's interesting, and that makes sense. Like I'm not, I'm nodding my head at it because you know, again, we we saw it yesterday, hey, Rob. It just seems like every time Purdue needs a little bit of a jolt, and I don't know, it, it can borderline on crazy at some moments. But, man, he, he's just such a critical missing ingredient that, at least for me, I feel better about Purdue on February 5th. And, and I already felt great about him last year on February 5th. But I feel better about him this year because of Lance's presence. Well, he certainly is. Yeah, you, you said it well. He'll take one or two shots a game that, <laughs> that I know Matt Painter's not particularly pleased with. But it's one of those things, right, where you take the good with the bad. Right. And the one, one thing you don't want to do is you certainly don't want it to uh, – uh, to try to suffocate his his uh, his aggressiveness is probably the right word. Um, and so if that means having to live with one or two bad shots a game, I think you're going to be okay with that. I mean, look, uh, I, I I was trying to prep a little bit for this interview this morning. I didn't realize it till I looked. Uh, the last two games, Lance is 57% from three. He's averaging 23 points a game. I mean, those are all American numbers. I, look, I know it's just two games, but if he can stay anywhere in that you know, in that stratosphere offensively through the months of February and March, Purdue could be in really good shape here in the last two months of the season. I would love to know, Rob Blackman with us, I'd love to know what uh, what else you found in that prep getting ready for this uh, for this you interview. Might be the yeah. first guest in the history of the show to prep. <laughs> I kind of did a double take when you said prep for the interview. So, yeah, what else did you find? Any You have any more nuggets for us? Anything else? 
Actually, I did find, and I'm, you guys will be surprised that I was able to come up with this type of inside information, but I did find that KB and Andy are extremely underpaid for their value and <laughs> what they bring to Sports Talk Radio. <laughs> Look at that. Right. There you go. Rob, what's your Venmo? Boy, I tell can, you we, what. can we handle that offline? Does Rob have a Venmo? That's a great question. Uh, I, I just told you I was born in 1970. Hell no, I don't have that. <laughs> Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilers. daughter and, you know, <laughs> well, someone, yeah, someone, someone else can set it up. It's, it's pretty easy to do. <laughs> you know, I'm just, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, the, the five teams in the top 10 or six in the top 11, you know, the numbers that are out there, whether it be at home, row, neutral site, uh, we have seen Purdue take care of business. Wisconsin uh, was number six going into the game yesterday. Who's the best team that you've seen Purdue face? Where did Wisconsin kind of fit that mold? I know Tennessee, obviously, uh, Marquette, Arizona was number one in the country. Who's the best team you think Purdue has faced this season? Uh, Well, uh, I'll give you two answers. The best team that I've seen with my own two eyes is Arizona, uh, just because the talent level they have across the board. But the toughest matchup for Purdue is Marquette. Um, They are, to me, that's the team that just gives Purdue fits. Uh, A, because they're so aggressive defensively. Uh, Shaka is such a good coach on the defensive end. He just seems to have it figured out on how to guard Purdue. Even, I mean, he figured that out way back when he was at VCU and they upset Purdue in the round of 32 when Etwan Moore was a senior. Uh, He just seems to have a way to to, to really make life tough on Purdue when Purdue's on offense. Uh, And look, they certainly have enough talented players as well. I mean, Kolek at, at point guard and and all the weapons they have, Cam Jones, and right on down the line. So it's really two answers for me. It's just overall, we're just talking overall talented team. It's certainly Arizona, but but toughest matchup head-to-head against Purdue. I'd put Marquette at the top of that list. He's voice of the Boilers, Rob Blackman. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Rob, I could be really just in the clouds on this one, but I thought you'd be the per- perfect person to ask. I'm sitting there watching the game yesterday, and along with you and Bobby, of course, I think Ian Eagle and Bill Rafferty did a wonderful job on the TV call, um, and that's the preview of, of course, the Final Four coming up with Ian Eagle taking over for, for Jim Nance. He had a three call in the second half. I'm trying to think of who made it, probably Lance Jones, uh, where he dropped a bullseye uh, <laughs> after that call. Again, I could be in the clouds. Is that any reference to Cliz there with that? I, I, I don't know. Ian Eagle, I can't uh, imagine, has done many Purdue games, but he strikes me as a dude that does his homework as well, and, and maybe from a play-by-play standpoint, he wanted to dial one up for the Purdue faithful. Yeah, I, I, Kevin, I don't know, but I'm glad you brought that up because I had someone hit me up on Twitter yesterday and actually made that same point that he had said bullseye and asked me the same question. Uh, I, so, But I don't know. I have okay. no idea. If, if that's the case, that is awfully cool. Uh, you know, you think about this, we lost uh, we lost Cliz, uh, well, let's see, it'd be three years ago this month, uh, actually. So, uh, yeah, if that was indeed what he was doing, that that is pretty damn cool. And, by the way, you were, you were right on Lance Jones because he was the only guy that actually made a three-point shot yesterday for Purdue. Really? We only made... We only made three of them. We made three, yeah. All three. So, yeah, so you're definitely right that it was a Lance Jones three.
Gosh, and it just adds to it. We, we talked about it earlier in the show, the one field goal for Edie in the first half, one made three, and you had a lead in, in the hardest road game, quote-unquote, you're going to have all year in the Big Ten. All right, Rob, we'll end with this. It's Saturday night. It is the rematch. Um, I, I don't necessarily need to go down an IU rabbit hole with you. The first matchup, though, it, it, even if you know Purdue could win this game by 15, and it could look a lot different just because of the foul trouble um, that Indiana did suffer early in that first half down there with Mackenzie Ibaco and Cleo Ware exiting early. Anything else kind of stand out to you about the first matchup that you're looking to Saturday night? Again, I know it's maybe hard to kind of go apples to apples because the foul trouble um, was a big storyline early in that game, but anything in particular for Saturday night? I just felt like Purdue did a good job of, of – really sticking to its defensive game plan. And, and you're right, the foul trouble certainly was advantageous for Purdue in the first half. Um, but, you know, outside of – I mean, gosh, out, out, outside of uh, Trey making, what, I think three threes there for IU early in the second half, uh, they just uh, they, they just didn't have much offense from a shooting standpoint. They have an all-season uh, from a perimeter shooting standpoint, and so that was Purdue's defensive in, uh, mo going into that is that they were going to allow some some three point shots and, and try to be uber aggressive inside uh, and try to take advantage uh, there, and that, and that's really how the game worked out. Uh, you know, again, if they don't, like I said, they, uh, Trey made those. I think it was three threes in the second half. Outside of that, they they did not have a whole lot of, all, of offensive shooting, uh, anything offensively, quite frankly. So. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think the game plan is going to be remarkably vastly different this time around. Both teams seem to be looking still about the same as far as percentages and those kind of things, shooting-wise and all that stuff. So, um, But I would remind fans, I know Purdue fans want to get awfully, uh, awfully uh, cocky about this one. Look, this is Purdue, Indiana, and truly anything can happen. <laughs> so... Uh, so let's let's just kind of be ready for for anything possible. Uh, as Coach Katie liked to always say, expect the unexpected. Um, so that's what you expect with Purdue, Indiana. So uh, I would also say this, guys: Purdue is finally, finally in a position where it gets a week off. Um, you know, Purdue had gone the whole month of January without having its its built-in bye week in there. So it's been a midweek and a weekend game for the entire month of January. And now Purdue finally gets a little bit of a break here. They only play six games in the month of February, and they've already played one of those. So they're down to five games for the entire month. So I think a little bit of rest and relaxation is going to help Purdue, and, and we'll see if maybe they look, uh, look a little refreshed on Saturday against Indiana. Place will be rocking Saturday night's 8 o'clock tip from Mackey as it is the rematch Purdue and Indiana. Rob, I know it was a busy travel day for you yesterday. I uh, appreciate you waking up with us here on this Monday morning. And uh, as always, uh, enjoy the combos with you. Okay, guys. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. That's a great Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilers, right there on the Payless Slickers hotline.